In the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sustainer. Amen. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was 2015 on a Saturday in the middle of July. Clinton, Tennessee was as hot as it can be. And you bet the cicadas were humming, sun beating down on our skin. We had come from all over the country to gather for movement building with a common understanding that one generation alone cannot get all of the work of justice done. So we gathered, children, young adults, middle-aged, and elders. We gathered to bear witness to each other and to the truth that our children deserve a more just world. Hosted annually on the sacred grounds of the Children Defense Fund's Haley Farm, the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute is a place where faith leaders and activists sing and pray, strategize and struggle, organize and advocate. Proctor is where stories are shared, hurts and hopes, pains and passions for justice in beloved community. If we use our biblical imaginations, Proctor Institute is its own iteration of Jacob's Well, as it is a place where people come for renewal, refreshment, and are transformed by those they encounter. On that Saturday in July, just after lunchtime, I elected to join a workshop called Fearless Dialogues, hosted by Gregory Ellison. The time I knew nothing about the organization Fearless Dialogues or Dr. Ellison's work in the world. I chose it because my soul thirsted for tools that would help me learn how to collaborate rather than to compete across difference. So I circled the workshop on my conference calendar and I walked across Haley Farm and found my way to the workshop classroom. A classroom where my perceptions and understandings of the power of hospitality were transformed. I opened the door to walk into the classroom space and standing immediately behind the door was Dr. Ellison. He looked me straight in the eyes. It is good to finally see you, he said. Welcome to Fearless Dialogues. Are you ready for change? The space between us connecting us felt like an eternity in a moment. What he had managed in such a simple greeting with profound intention set the tone for the rest of our two hours together. It is good to finally see you meant that Dr. Ellison had just offered me the same gift that is exchanged between the Samaritan woman and Jesus, two strangers, just like Dr. Ellison and I in John's Gospel this morning. It is the gift of deep witness, of loving encounter, 
and of receptivity. Dr. Ellison has shared that after doing this practice with thousands of people, he has learned that this brief eye-to-eye -eye exchange can immediately transform a reticent onlooker into an engaged participant. To look someone in the eye and to say it is good to see you may be one of the most profound sacramental gifts that we can give to one another. Because when we do this, we look not just at the person in front of us, but we honor their dignity and the image of God within them. Eye-to-eye -eye contact with loving intention is an offering of kindness and grace. And y'all, we know that society has set us up to dodge each other, to look past one another, to step over or around. I know that I am often consumed with my own thoughts and to-do lists, biases and storylines that I forget to really take the time to slow down, to see the human being in front of me. It is all too easy to miss one another, and when we miss one another, we really miss out on God through one another. We miss out on the possibility of receiving some living water flowing between us that may just be trying to work through the cracks in our lives to nourish our souls. We also know what it's like to put ourselves out there, to share a truth and risk vulnerability just to have our stories plop to the ground. Plopping is terribly painful. Dr. Ellison teaches that the term plopping was coined by Jane Vella in the book, Learning to Listen, Learning to Teach. Plopping, she says, is that fatal moment when an adult learner says something in a group and the words hit the floor without affirmation or even recognition that someone has spoken. Plopping freezes our ability to share authentically. The opposite of plopping is seeing and being. It is from the soil of deep witness that the fruits of belonging, self-esteem, and healing can flourish. The opposite of plopping is what happens in the exchange between the Samaritan woman and Jesus at the well. This exchange between the Samaritan woman and Jesus is the longest recorded dialogue in all the Gospels. And you may have felt that this morning, listening to it. <laughs> it is placed in the Gospel of John as a juxtaposition to the story of Nicodemus that we heard last week. Nicodemus, a well-learned Pharisee who came to Jesus in the night. Instead, this morning, we hear of an unnamed Samaritan woman who encounters Jesus in the middle of the day on sacred ground and gets caught up in a profound story of transformation. John tells us that Jesus was tired out by his journey, so he sits down at Jacob's well. 
He is tired and thirsty and sweaty and human. And for some reason, the Savior of the world does not have a water bucket. (laughs) And so he asks the Samaritan woman for a drink of her water. Jesus is thirsty and tired. And he asks for what he needs to receive. Some water from a woman that he shouldn't be talking to for a lot of gender, ethnic, and social reasons. We need to pause here. Because I don't know about you, but asking for what I need to receive is vulnerable. Being thirsty and tired and in need and reaching out a hand to say, will you help? is an act of vulnerability, and because it's an act of vulnerability, it is also an act of courage. It is Jesus's vulnerability that opens up this entire encounter. It is his willingness to say to this woman, will you give me a drink? That lends the space for authentic engagement. So I have to wonder, What if God is not just the gift giver, but what if God is also the gift receiver? Receptivity is vulnerable, and it is true strength. And sometimes I also wonder if our hesitancy to really see people in need, those who are asking for a little help, is because we ourselves are not good at asking for what we need. To be on the receiving end is often vulnerable in a culture that tells us we should be able to muster up everything for ourselves and be self-sufficient. So we pride ourselves on giving. When the truth is, each of us, every single human being on this planet has the capacity and the need to both give and receive. So Jesus asks for a drink of water. And thankfully, the Samaritan woman doesn't let him plop. She doesn't pretend to play on her phone or (laughs) ignore him like she didn't hear him. Instead, she engages his request. And the rest of their dialogue is profound Christian history. We know that what Jesus needs is a drink of water, and what this woman needs is living water. The practical and the spiritual, the body and the soul both thirst, and it is our job to meet both the needs of the body and the soul's thirst. And Jesus, seeing this woman, naming the truths of her story without shame or judgment, but with clarity and love, she moves from seeing him as a Jewish man, then as a prophet, then as the Christ. It is in her being seen by him that, that, that she is then able to see him. This deep witness is the living water that she has been waiting for her whole life. It is a deep witness that is the gift of kindness and embrace. 
where we say yes to each other, to our complex stories of pain and promise of hurts and hopes. This kind of deep witness is what all of us are waiting for. For someone to say to us, it is good to finally see you. This encounter with Jesus provokes her to leave her water jar behind, to run back to town and tell, to tell everybody about what has happened. She's so moved that she cannot keep this encounter to herself. It is obvious that something heals in her because John tells us that the whole town believes in Jesus because of her testimony. Y'all, the Samaritan woman is the first apostle. And her life and the lives of her town are changed forever. This Gospel of John is one filled with some of our highest Christology. It is filled with the signs of Jesus, healing miracles, power over nature, miracles of raising the dead. But for some reason, theologians have left out this story of the Samaritan woman and of Jesus from this list of miracles and signs that solidify Jesus as the Christ and encourage our belief in God made flesh. In Eastern Orthodoxy, they claim this woman as a saint. They call her the luminous one. So I'm not sure why this story isn't included because I have to agree with these words from Mary Oliver, from her book of poetry titled Thirst. Mary says, belief isn't always easy, but this much I have learned, if not enough else, to live with my eyes open. I know what everyone wants is a miracle. Of course, kindness, as now and again some rare person has suggested, is a miracle, as surely it is. Amen.